Just past 6 o'clock, and what do you know? We're in the saddle for a Memorial Day edition of Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Got a great show on tap for you tonight. And Ira, I know you've been uh, pretty busy doing a little uh, jet setting and also taking in some sporting events. So where are you and what would you do this week? Well, first of all, we want to honor the people who served in the military and lost their lives defending our country so we can have good things and talk about sports and enjoy everything. So once again, we, we certainly honor them on, on today. But uh, no, I actually did took, take my first flight in uh, 15 months. So I flew up to New York and I'm probably going to catch some games this week. I might see the Belmont on Saturday and uh, the Nick game perhaps on Wednesday. The Yankees have a great, uh, the Yankees are playing the, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Red Sox this week. So going to catch some New York action in terms of sports. And uh, that seems where to go because Finally, South Miami, the, the South Florida is uh, is lacking in sports right now. Yeah, no, absolutely it is. Um, and you have to be in, you happen to be in New York at like the perfect time, minus uh, some of the kind of rough weather that they're having for this this time of year. But um, we'll talk in a minute about uh, the Heat because you did uh, you did take in a game down there and uh, had some interesting run ins. But uh, we're also going to have Larry Olmstead join us uh, a little bit later in the show. Tell us a little bit about Larry. Larry also wrote a book called Fans, and it really, it's, it's a very interesting book. I've heard him on Good Morning America and on all, I think, on today's show, talk about this, and it's all about what the value of sports is, and I think it has it on society. As now as more people are coming back to sports and they're watching sports and going to sporting events, and it sort of says why sports is better than, like, the movies <laughs> and that type of thing. And it's really an interesting interview. He did a whole good study on this. I love this interview that I did with him. We taped it a couple weeks ago. I really enjoyed it, and I think, he's gonna, I think it's going to be very interesting. They said this book is done. It's one of the top bestsellers in the country, and uh, but it's sort of about the whole idea psychology of sports and why people who follow sports are happier than people who don't follow sports. It's so. crazy science behind it. And we'll, uh, we'll dive into that with Larry Olmstead coming up here on Ira on Sports. So Ira, quite a turn of events from last year when the uh, Heat shocked, shocked the world and beat Milwaukee. They got crushed in every game in this series and you happen to be there on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, this this series with the Heat, we're going to break this down a little bit, but I, I, as I did not see this coming at all. I mean, they last year they won four, you know, for, you know, they dropped one game against the Milwaukee Bucks, made it to the finals, gave the Lakers a tussle there in that finals, and sort of brought back most of this team, made some changes, and they struggled this year. The Heat did not play well, but there was COVID reasons. Jimmy Butler was out, but the last few weeks looked like they were playing great. And then just to have it all fall apart in a week, uh, it's just a ter- week and a half of basketball. I think it was what's, what's, what's amazing about it was is that after that game won 109-107, I don't think I've ever seen a team that I expected to. I mean, they lost game two. That was the way the Monday night game after the show. They were down. Four, we, we did our show on Monday night, and, I, and we were, missed the first, like, 15 minutes of the game. I turned the radio on. It's 46-20. to 20. Uh, Milwaukee had 22 threes. They ended up losing by 34 points. And then usually, okay, so you lose Wayne's one, you gave, you're down 
usually a team that loses like that comes back that third game and puts up some fight and a fight. But then we, I was at game three and they lost that game. They were down 20 some points. They left by 19 and that uh, bucks were you know up 26, 14 in the first quarter, 26, 14, in the first quarter. And then in game four, uh, just a chance that you were saying, Oh, maybe the heat are going to just get sub game, put some into whatever to fight some fight. And they lose 120 to 103. So they lost games by 17 by 19 and by 34 points. It's insanity that you would think that a team that I predicted was going to go to the finals couldn't even stay in these games. No, yeah, Ira, that, that's what shocked me the most. It just didn't look like any team we've seen. That, like, we haven't seen this team look like this all season, and it just came out flat. I mean, I guess, you know, maybe it's second time around for Milwaukee, the fact that they... This is a huge focus for them. If they don't win this series, it's time to break everything up in Milwaukee and start from scratch because obviously, you know, you can't even get out of the first round now. So it was kind of do or die for them. But, yeah, I wasn't expecting just a flat uh, Heat team that was going to play no defense. I mean, it was like one of those things that you see from both those teams. So, like, what what happened? Everyone asked me this question. Why are the Heat different than last year? And they're different. They only lost Jay Crowder and Kelly Olynyk. And, you know, like, Jay Crowder and Kelly Olynyk were – fifth, six men on the team. They weren't the key components. But if you look Crowder in the Phoenix series against the Lakers, Crowder plays great defense. He's really stopping LeBron and doing very well. And and it played a very key role. And Olenek gave that size. And when Pat Riley traded Olenek for Victor Oladipo for more guard help, and then Oladipo gets hurt, losing Olenek and losing Crowder, that didn't. And then they draft choice. We Everyone was excited, including me, about Precious Achua. We thought, boy, there's another, another Bam out of bio. He's going to be a power forward. He's going to get rebounds. He can't. The um, Spolster did not feel comfortable even putting him in the game for any stretches of time. He, he totally out of the rotation. So you really have the team last year's team. You're like, well, that's still good enough. You have Jimmy Butler and you have uh, uh, Bam Adebayo, and you're waiting for Bam Adebayo. And Bam Adebayo is now sort of looking like he's very good against players like that. He can be forcified that he dominates, but against these more elite players, like whether it's Giannis or even Brooke Lopez. It just he didn't he didn't play well. I mean, he only averaged 15 points, nine rebounds, and Jimmy Butler was 14 points, seven and a half boards, and he shot 29 percent. He didn't even have 20 points in any of his games. Goran Dragic tried. He missed a lot of open shots, um, and then Trevor Ariza, who really you're substituting Crowder for Ariza, and Ariza just had um, it averaged five points a game, didn't play well. Uh, Deadman, who helped a lot in that game one and played well in game one, but really was not much of a factor in, on the other games. And then you're looking at the Tyler Heroes, the Duncan Robinsons, the Kendrick Nuns. These are players that other teams want to trade for. You heard them in, they could have traded Tyler Hero for James Harden or for Kyle Lowry. And Pat Riley said, I want to hold on to these guys. And they just, and these are young players that just, they stepped up last year in the bubble, but this year they didn't. Uh, Hero was uh, um, only averaged nine points. They actually all averaged nine points a game. Didn't really, Robinson was just averaging two threes a game. Just didn't play well and, 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 and just did not provide that, like the step. Like Tyler Hero now looks like he's a sixth man, the seventh man on the team. He doesn't look like an emerging superstar. Like in the NBA Finals when he had the 31 points in that one game, and you're like, oh my gosh, Tyler Hero is this next great player, but he really doesn't play a lot of defense. Duncan Robinson had made such strides this year of becoming more of a more than a three-point shooter, just sort of reverted back to that. And Kendrick Nunn played okay, but not that level that you want to step up with. And what did the Bucks do? The Bucks got rid of Eric Bledsoe from last year's team, 
brought Drew Holiday in, and Drew Holiday would average 15 points a game. He was great. Chris Middleton, who everyone does not give respect for. Anyone who watches these games, and all they saw was Middleton scoring, 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 and he was an all-star this year. Doesn't get any respect at all. They're like, oh, Giannis needs another superstar team. He's a superstar. He makes shots in game one. He had the shot to win the game. And then Giannis, I don't think Giannis played that great, averaging 23 points, but he got the rebounds, and it wasn't like in the last series everything was through Giannis. Now Drew Holiday, he has 15 assists, 12 assists. Drew Holiday has the ball, and Giannis now can be moved around more on the court. And it wasn't like the Heat said, we're going to build a wall, and Giannis is going to try to go through it and get called for charges all the time. Giannis is now catching the ball in different areas of the floor and being more dominated. And the Heat's defense was, there were points, it was embarrassing. Like they were just, it it was just like they had four, it almost looked like the uh, Milwaukee had seven players and the Heat had three. Like when you watch hockey, and I'm watching all this hockey now, (laughs) it looked like power plays. and they were like in set offense. No, yeah, like it was. You'd look. I, I thought my phone was lying to me. I right, look at. Like, wait, they can't have scored forty points that quarter. There's got to be something wrong here. And then when you watch the game back, you're like, there. This doesn't look like a Heat team that I've ever seen before. Um, do you want to talk about the game you were at on Thursday because it ended up being kind of interesting? Yeah, I mean, there was. A, it was I had. I was. It was exciting to go to the playoff game and be there. Now this is game, this would be game three. So I was at the third game and I'm like, I want to go take my mom to that because see a playoff game. I, I felt like this was a chance. Like I, I really thought they were going to take this game. Like they, I know they were blown out in game two, but, uh, and I, and I just was so excited to come to this game and, and, and to be there. And it was a great atmosphere at the beginning of the game. I mean, I would say there were 17,000 fans there. There were fans everywhere. I mean, the funny thing about being back, I've gone to so many games these past years and it's great in the past year to not have fans sit in you in front of your seats. And I felt bad for my mom and I were sitting there. And initially we had like four kids, little like 10 year, 12 year olds sit in front of us, not blocking us or eight year olds. And they're very short. And then their parents came and they were like seven feet tall. So they're blocking our view. And then they, but then they move and then the kids come. And then finally we decided to move two seats back. And then someone sat in our seats because we had two seats behind us that were empty and they were, they were very tall. So finally, by the end of the game, luckily the game was so for, viewing purposes the game was such a blowout that everybody just left so by the end of the game we're like the only one sitting in the entire section but the other a funny story i have of that game though is that um there was a there's a, a rapper called Lil pump and i didn't know i didn't know who he was i don't know who he was but anyway i was going to the restroom during halftime and i'm there and, and i see like I would say 20 to 30 women trying to go in the men's restroom. And I'm like, wait, is this the men's room? Is this the women's room? And then I realized they're trying to get Lil Pump and his four security guards are in front of me. And they're all trying to get the picture. I mean, first I turn around to people, I go, who is that? And people look at me like, are you an idiot? That's Lil Pump. Like, I should know who that is. And, uh, and then, so I'm like right behind the security guards. So finally we go to the restroom and the women are just pushing so much getting pictures. And he was great. He was taking, he was posing for pictures and doing selfies, everything. So they finally get into the restroom room and everybody sort of leaves the restroom and tell me like his four security guards little pump and his girlfriend was there so he brought his girlfriend into the men's room so they could go i guess into one of those stalls and uh uh and then we're then i was just in the meet and then because they stopped everybody else from coming into the uh, restroom but uh, i thought that was just it was it was i can't the reason why like he's a vip but on the side that we were sitting on behind the players benches they closed that club. So I guess he could not use a club unless he had to walk over it because he was down really low right off the floor. But you, that club was closed. So that's, I guess, he had to go back to the where the plebes all fit, even though it's on the first level of the seating. But I thought that was just a funny story about seeing that at the game. And there was, it was, it was, it was, it was it, I, I love the atmosphere. I liked being there. 
The other disaster at the Heat game was the food. As poorly as the Heat played, the food situation was a total disaster. People were ordering their food, and they go out. You're not allowed to walk into a line and place an order. You had to order it, and then it would be ready for you. Well, I ordered it, I guess, a half an hour before the game. It wasn't ready by till the end of the game, but <laughs> two and a half hours later, it was terrible. They, they, they were so backed up that they got to order number 3,000, and they had 20,000. So, and people were complaining because people had paid for all this food. They had paid for the food. Nobody could get it. People were waiting. And so as poorly as the heat played on the court, the food distribution system uh, totally broke down and wasn't very good either. But uh, that was my sort of my little stories from the games, which um, I also – one thing that you notice that if you want to notice on television, a lot of the players are sitting – they don't sit in their seats because for COVID rules – but they're sitting around and they sit and, and I think they better the NBA. It does not create a great look because the players are actually underneath the basket. And so a lot of the Bucks players, when sitting around, they like run on the court. Like if you might notice during these games, these players, like when you're sitting in your seats, it's one thing to come up. But a lot of the players that weren't even dressed for the game are sitting underneath the basket and are like just coming on the court while the basket game is going on, like congratulating the players. And I, I think that look isn't good because it's sort of like, they're, and some of them just sit on, instead of having the chairs where you can just you can go right on the court they have like uh, advertising signs on so they're sitting on those advertising boards like it's more like an aau game not an <laughs> nba playoff game i think that should that should change but that was just some of my observations from the game anything else you want to touch on with uh, this heat buck series before we move on <sighs> i'm just i think i i didn't the the trade of bledsoe for holiday for the bucks was great I think this Bryn Forbes, who they got from San Antonio, shot the lights out, played great. Uh, and I just think that, that I, I, honestly, I do not think that the Heat, the Heat felt, look, we beat them last year, we'll beat them this year. They lost by 25 early, a few games ago, like two weeks ago, the Butler wasn't playing. But I think this, I think this shows that you don't want to get it. When people say, well, seedings don't matter, I think seeding does matter. I think getting the seventh seed would have been better if they were, they were a fourth, if they were a fourth or fifth, they would have played the Hawks or the Knicks, which they would easily got in, not easily, but would have much have better chance against. So I think that hurt them. And now that I think we're going to spend a whole off season, like, what is it? What are the Heat going to do? I mean, are they a Butler and Obio? Uh, and they have these young players, but are they going to re-sign Duncan Robinson? I mean, there are so many questions, and this team looked like they were so close to being in the NBA, being an NBA champion, and now they look so far away. Just the space of two weeks, they went from, in many people's eyes, so close to being like a champion. Now they're miles and miles and miles away. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the big question. That, that's the best way to look at it. That yeah, we we had you know championship <laughs> championship potential in our eyes for this team, and now you're looking at it like I I just don't know what to expect. Um, let's go to Nets and Celtics, and I kind of do know what to expect here, Ira. If Jason Tatum doesn't score fifty points, it's going to be tough for the Celtics to get to win. Well, Jason Tatum. I mean, it was game one. Uh, the Nets won 104 to 93, and then they won by 20. Another blowout in game two by 22. And then last night was there was no Jalen Brown. Of course, he's been out for the Celtics, and no Robert Williams, their center, and no Kemba Walker. And uh, they won by it was the game. Another blowout, 141 to 126. Um, and you're noticing in this game. I mean, uh, Kevin Durant is a great player, which of course he is when he's healthy. You, you, when you get to appreciate, I mean, he has played so little over the last number of years that when you actually see Kevin Durant out, you're like, wow, is he good? Because he can get shots from everywhere, shoots the threes, drives, plays great defense. 
and then and then when you're having that, him, then you have Harden and Kyrie Irving. Clearly, when a team is not pressuring them, and they, if he can, no one's playing defense against them, they have their way. I thought that the game three, I thought that shows to me a chink in their armor. I think this team should have never lost to the Celtics. I don't care if Tatum scores 50. That was a terrible performance on their part to, to let down, but they came back and now they're up 3 1 and probably will close this out on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night. But, uh, uh, and also, you're seeing Joe Harris. People don't talk about it. Who's Joe Harris? Well, Joe Harris is a very, very good shooter for the Nets. And when he's wide open, because you have three elite superstars out there, Harris is like shooting threes with nobody around him, and he's making them. He's averaging 15 points a game, and I think that helps them, the Nets. But, of course, my, my concern for the Nets is that they don't play any defense, and they did show me that they're playing defense in this series. And I do think that Milwaukee, I think Milwaukee still beats them. I think that Milwaukee, with Lopez being big, I think the size is going to dominate them. I, I like and it, it, it's just, I want to see the Nets pressured. Like when they have to fight on who's going to take the last shot, who's going to handle the ball. How, everything was so easy against Boston so far. I, what, I, but they play Milwaukee next, and I, 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 I'm still liking Milwaukee in the, in the Nets series. Uh, Knicks and Hawks. And Ira, my Knicks, it was a fun story. It was very cool getting the four seed, but I think we're, we're, seeing, uh, <laughs> we're seeing that the Knicks are definitely not ready to take that next step just yet. Well, Julius Randle averaged 24 points in the regular season. He was, um, people were saying, where is Julius? He's a superstar. He's this great forward. He's one most improved player um, and he's all-star. But in now four games, he went from 23 points, 14, 15, to 15. He's averaging 16 points a game. And that's just not going to cut it. You know, Reggie Bullock, uh, uh, the last game, they, they, they lost 113 to 96. Reggie Bullock's played 34 minutes. Now, he's the shooting guard. Like, he's supposed to shoot. He had zero points. How can you have zero points playing 34 minutes in an NBA basketball game? Um, if it wasn't for Derrick Rose, who has played out of this his mind and played great. I mean, Derrick Rose, remember Derrick Rose is from Chicago years ago when he won the MVP award. And then he had all these terrible injuries and sort of just disappeared and played in Detroit and played these other, and no one knew who he was. And now he came back on the Knicks and, and just playing great. Otherwise, I, they would be totally swept. But uh, you know, they, the Knicks won game two at the Garden. Everybody went crazy. I mean, that's the other thing. The Knicks won game two at the Garden. They harassed Trey Young. Someone tried to spit on Trey Young, missed Trey Young, and hit uh, an Instagram. What I think would happen was they tried to spit on Trey Young. They missed Trey Young, but hit an Instagram person who blogged it on their, all their sites on Influencer. Then after they win the game, they go out and celebrate. Like, like this crowd looks like they had won the NBA Finals game seven. <laughs> they only won <laughs> game two of the first round. And they go back to Atlanta, and I think that whole scene gave Atlanta a lot of fire and they came back and won game three by 11 and then easily won game four by 17 it's going back now wednesday night in new york for it's for the hawks to try to close this off but just seeing trey young is he just can get there's when he's dribbling Derek wrote that no one can guard him he's just too fast and he's now playing smart he doesn't have to score the 30 points a game they did last year he knows how to pass the ball and do they have shooters they have uh bogdanovich who's draining threes and Dun- and herter who's draining threes it just seems like everybody on their team every single person for the hawks can shoot threes and that's why and the knicks just have problems shooting i mean rj barrett their star you know what? I, my problem is that RJ Barrett cost nine wins for winning a title. I mean, he's struggling. He's wide open for shots. Doesn't seem to know what he wants to do. Whether he wants to shoot or pass, he's a step slow. I mean, the Hawks are playing at a just 
another speed than the Knicks are. They, they just know what they want to do. Trey Young is this great point guard passing the ball around. They, know, they, they, they go to their spots. And uh, I think the Knicks overachieved this year to get the fourth seed, and you're seeing that uh, they really do need a lot more players. So um, we kind of are on the same page in this uh, sense that we're not really fans of the 76ers. <laughs> and, uh, you came out and said, you know, the, there was a shot that Washington could make a little splash here. And I agreed with you, but now it's beginning to show they can't stop Embiid. And this is, you know, this is probably going to be uh, wrapped up in four. Yeah, I mean, it's, they won the last game. by Again, these blowouts, that's the one story about they won by 29, by 25, and the first game was by 7, but it wasn't that close. But in terms of Embiid is just dominating. He's averaging 29 points a game. But I think the interesting thing about what I'm noticing in this series more is that the Sixers were always Ben Simmons and Embiid. Ben Simmons and Embiid. And Simmons, we know, doesn't like to shoot shots. Finally, Tobias Harris, their other quote superstar, who they're paying $30-some million a year to, isn't doing isn't the 12- and 14-point-a-game player that he was last year. He seems to be someone who's like, look, I'm going to be – Ben Simmons is our point guard. That's nice. But I'm going to be the second option on this team. And if they could t- – that, to me, is the biggest difference in how he's playing in terms of Tobias Harris. Is, there's times in the game where Tobias Harris is just taking this game over and acting like a superstar. And that's what he should do. And that now has allowed uh, Seth Curry. Steph Curry's brother, who was draining threes, and, and Danny Green has also been shooting threes well, and that's what. And, and I just, again, the Wizards have uh, Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, and they have not played well. I mean, Bill scored thirty points; he's been injured, but he's averaging just one three a game. Westbrook, we know, can't. He just has been has been battling injuries in and out of the games. And if they're not, if they don't, you don't, you need really, you needed uh, Westbrook having like 20 points, 20 rebounds, 20 assists, and Beal scoring 50, and they're coming nowhere near those numbers, and that's why Philadelphia is going to sweep this uh, tonight. So uh, and 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 sweep the the, the Wizards, but uh, and they're going to it'll set up a series. Now I think they have a you know to set up a series against if Atlanta beats the Knicks, it'll be Philadelphia versus Atlanta, and then Milwaukee versus uh, Brooklyn. But uh, uh, again, it's just. I was hoping that Washington could make this a series, but as you're watching the game, you're right. Without the size and bead, but he's staying healthy. Now, the question is, are these players, we just saw Anthony Davis and Lakers get injured. Is MB, I, I don't see uh, Embiid staying healthy another three, four weeks. I don't see uh, um, uh, Kevin Durant staying healthy. I don't see Kyrie or James Harden. So, again, these players are going to get injured, and I think that's going to change how these series look. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Just about 15 minutes to go, and then we've got to bring in Larry Olmstead. Uh, let's talk about the West, Ira. And we're getting a pretty good series here, Utah and Memphis. And John Morant, kind of like hero from last year, like just putting himself on a pedestal. Like, man, this kid's really good. Well, it's uh, Utah lost the first game. Dama Mitchell had to sit out. He was injured, but they come, came back. And, and of all the, all the series of these games, uh, the Utah's won the last games by 12 and by 10, but John Moran is averaging 28 a game and, and is just playing at a, at a ridiculously high level. Uh, actually, he's averaging 34 points a game. And Dylan Brooks has come in and played well. Memphis is a young team. They're probably going to lose this series, but they are giving Utah a fight. And I just like what, and actually, these are two games. This is the most exciting series in terms of up and down. And John Moran's ability to handle the ball and to, uh, and to make passes, and now he's shooting what he wasn't shooting before. Uh, it really just an emergence that we're looking for Memphis. This is where, like, for next year, is Memphis going to take that next step when they add other players? But Utah's up 2-1 right now. I expect them to close this out. But uh, John Moran is playing great. And remember, they were the ones that beat the Warriors and knocked uh, Steph Curry out of the playoffs. Let's talk uh, Clippers and Mavs. It, it was looking like Clippers were 
pretty much had to blow the team up, and uh, they've bounced back nicely, and the series is tied. Yeah, well, the Mavericks were up two games to none. Uh, Luka Doncic was playing out of his mind and playing great for the Mavericks, and the Clippers were not playing well. And then the Mavs were leading 30-11 to in Game 3, and it's like one of those things where you're up 30-11, to you have 19 points, finish that game out, be up 3-0, and call it a series. They end up losing that game, coming back and losing Game 4, and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, now Paul George is playing well. They're, Paul George is averaging 25 a game, Kawhi is averaging 33 a game. They're getting contributions from their other players, and Doncic who averaged 38 points the first three. The last game scored 18. He has now a cervical strain. Talk about injuries. You say the injuries. He, they, they need him. They, they can't win without Luka Doncic having a, an amazing game. He has a cervical strain on his shoulder. He can't even turn his neck. He was 9 for 24. And now he can't even shoot free throws. He's 13 for 32 from the foul line. So here's one of the best players in the league. And, and as a 75% foul shooter, hasn't played well. But it does not look good. I mean, I, I root for the Clippers. I root for the Mavericks. And I, I want them to – but it's just – it's, it has that sense. Even though the series is 2-2, it almost seems like it's like 3.9-2 and at 3. 9 to 2 rather than 2-2 in terms of the series. And, and I, I just I find it, it's going to take a lot for the Mavericks to, to win two more games. Uh, talking about Lakers and Suns, I think that um, the Suns are holding up better than I thought they were going to, I eh? Well, that's – so game one, the Suns win. And Chris Paul played great. It, the beginning was playing well. Good win for the Suns. Then Chris Paul hurts his shoulder. But then, games two and three, Chris Paul for the Suns tries to play. He doesn't play well, and everyone says Anthony Davis in terms of how he's playing, and he didn't play well in game one. He scores 34 in game two, 34 in game three. Everyone's thinking this series is over. Game four, what we say about injuries, Davis gets hurt at the end of the second quarter. He's out. Chris Paul, who was hurt, suddenly now looks healthy and playing great, and they come back and they win that game, one 192. And Paul had 18 points. Devin Booker, 17 points. And now you have Jay Crowder, I said, guarding LeBron. Now you're getting a sense. Now, I, I'm never going to count LeBron out for anything. I still think LeBron still win this series. Uh, but – uh, it, without Anthony Davis playing, and, and, and he's extremely injury-prone, you can see where the Lakers' problems are. Ken Will Caldwell Pope, one of the three-point shooters, is out injured. But they're going to need Schroeder uh, or Kuzma to step up or maybe an Andre Drummond. But the, the Suns have this chance, and, and I'm waiting for Devin Booker, who's their star guard. Hasn't really played well this series at all. I mean, for, to be 2-2 with the Lakers, you expect Booker to have this great, and he's scoring like 17 points to 16 points. I'm waiting for like a 40-point game from Booker. Um, and, but if Pulse is healthy and Booker has a big game, they could win this series, and now go back to Phoenix for 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 Game Five. And uh, and, and remember, there's three games left, and two of them are going to be in Phoenix. So this is this is going to be super exciting. I mean, three of the Western series are all two-two. The East is all, almost all finished, but the West has three series at two-two. So I I think one of the most exciting series is turning out to be Denver and Portland. Yeah, I mean two-two in terms of that. I like. It, how this shapes up in terms of Denver and Portland, you know, would they play the Lakers or Phoenix? I mean, so Denver, everyone kind of, they have the, the MVP and Jokic, but they lose Jamal Murray, their star point guard. But after the game four, they are up two, two games to one in game four, Damian Lillard, Portland's big star guard, shoots one for 10, has a terrible game, but still Portland ends up winning. So that even that series 2-2. And I just, I think Portland's going to win this series. I like this Portland team a lot. 
Like, I think that we have Lillard and McCollum. They're two stars, but they added Robert Cunningham. They had Nursic is healthy, and there's Norman Powell, who had 29 points uh, on game, for game four uh, as their other player. They don't really have much of a bench. But, I mean, I think Portland is phenomenal, and I, I just am surprised this is 2-2. But uh, it just shows you how great Jokic is at center for the, for the Nuggets. But that's what they're setting this week. you got you got the whole West having these games. We'll hope, you know, maybe one of these will go to a game seven in terms of these you know, three games at 2-2, and it looks like the East is, is all finished. But uh, so that's uh, I, I've, I, I'm disappointed in the playoffs in terms of these games have not been close. They've been total blowouts, so many games, which I was amazed at that. But that's happened in the regular season, too, where these teams get behind and they sort of just stop playing. And you expect that. Well, it may not happen in the playoffs, but it is happening in the playoffs. Let's change gear, go over to the NHL. And I, we've, uh, we've become big Florida Panthers fans on this show. And they gave it their all. They, I think they could have done a little better in the series versus Tampa Bay. But regardless, we're moving on, and so is Tampa. Well, you were excited about the change in goals for Spencer Knight. That actually, spent, he helped them win uh, game uh, game five in back in in, in Florida at home, but then uh, not able to win. You know, not able to win game six in Tampa. But uh, it was like one of those things where Tampa is just just a better team. No one could argue that Florida is a better team, better than Tampa. No, yeah, on paper, it's not even close. So they, they were playing over their heads a little bit. It'll be interesting. They have to make changes, and hockey is one of those sports like basketball, where you can do just like, you know, bring in Drew Holiday for Eric Bledsoe, and it changes everything. So I'm interested to see what the Panthers do this offseason because they made great moves um, last offseason. That's what propelled them to where they are. So it'll be exciting to see what happens. Uh, Carolina and Nashville, I didn't think Nashville would give them that much trouble, but they're moving on as well, 4-2. to two, So we're going to see Carolina versus Tampa Bay on that side. This is going to be a heck of a series, Ira. Tampa Bay's up one nothing right now, but I would still think Carolina is going to be able to pull this out. Well, you're the expert. You've been high on Carolina all year. Um, I saw Tampa, you know, watch that whole series. Tampa looks great. So I did catch a little game one. Um, the hockey, the, the quality is just tremendous between Tampa and Carolina. And this, you know, arguably besides Colorado, these are the two best teams playing. And, and this could be like the Stanley Cup finals, really, between Carolina and Tampa Bay. No, you're, you're exactly right in that sense. So the, the Islanders are just such a hard team to get a hold of. I mean, they play defense and they play on the same page as each other. And that's hard for some teams to beat teams that are just disciplined. Don't get it. Don't go to the penalty box. Block shots. All the little things. And the Islanders do it all well. And they beat um, they beat Pittsburgh four to two. They, that there was no excuse for Pittsburgh there, Ira. I mean, they're the better team on paper. Didn't pull it out. And uh, Boston crushed Washington, which I didn't think was going to happen. Now we're going to see uh, the Islanders take on Boston. And I'm favoring Boston in the series. But I told you, I always bet against the Islanders, and they always bite me in the butt. Wow. I mean, that was that series. I, again, the Penguins, it's it just it's frustrating to see that. I mean, for the last couple of years, it's been Pittsburgh and Washington and uh, uh, in, in terms of the in the East. And it's just Pittsburgh, just the Penguins with Crosby and Malkin. They, and they were healthy. I mean, this is one of those years where it's like you want to say that Pittsburgh lost because they weren't healthy. They were healthy and they still they just got beat. They it just seems like they were outplayed in all those games. And, and the Islanders. Uh, under Barry Trotz, the, the, the coach, it just, they just had more fire. And uh, my friends that are Penguins fans are just, you know, they are done with this. They are so mad at this team because they see all the talent the team has but unable to even get out of the first round. Yeah, crazy. And uh, we'll have to see what happens uh, with that team going forward as well. Um, going to the West, really the only team I think that had a shot against Colorado was Vegas. They're the number two seed. And they looked 
pretty mediocre against Minnesota. Uh, Colorado just crushed St. Louis. And now we're going to have what I think is the two best teams in the West facing off. I still got to roll with Colorado here, though, Ira. I, I just think that that their top line and their power play is just too much. They're like Tampa Bay on steroids sometimes. So I, I, I'm going with uh, Colorado to come out of the West. Yeah, so what, you know, you're surprised in the Colorado-Vegas series where they switch goalies to give Mark Anna Fleury a break, their star goalie, they give him a break, and then uh, and then they lose 7-1. They almost threw, it almost seems like they threw away game one, which is, you, know, you don't want in a seven-game series just throw one game away. No, crazy, and uh, we'll see what happens there. But if Colorado goes up 2 nothing, it's going to be danger mode for Vegas. Uh, let's get into some auto racing because I know it's a big weekend. Yes, I mean, the Indy 500, uh, that, was, uh, that was this past week, 135,000, 40% of capacity. And Hilo Castaneras won, won his fourth title. Uh, he was a 30-to-1 odds. He's 46 years old. He mentioned, it's like Tom Brady, Phil Mickelson, and now me at 46. Team Penske, was, he was the star of Team Penske. They said, you're too old or whatever. You're, we're done with you, Helio. And he sort of bounced around a few years, but found a, uh, Meyer Shank Racing and, and had one car and really had no success and uh, ended up passing Alex Polo with six laps to go. Ran the lap cars when you thought that Polo was going to come back and pass him. And it just shows you the experience that Castaneras has to avoid going Going through the lap cars and sort of like it was almost like a like a movie trying to like, let you know stay in front of Apollo as Apollo went past him. But after he won, he he literally went around the entire for like two miles and was like running down, acknowledging the fans. They couldn't even interview him because he was so excited. Uh, the amount, I, I don't think I can't imagine a player more enthusiastic uh, from after a victory like that. And he's like, you know, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I'm great. You know, people might remember from Dancing with Stars. It was down in Miami. Uh, but it was, a, it was a big win for Helio Castaneros. Now he's, as I said, Foyt, Unser, and Mears all won four. Now Helio's won four. And this gives him a chance to try to be the only driver ever to win five Indy 500s. What about uh, the Coca-Cola 600? Yeah, that's the, in the NASCAR race. Kyle Larson won. Talk about, talk about dominance. 328 laps he led out of 400. Uh, it gave Hendrick now 269 wins, passing Petty Enterprise as the best uh, uh, car company, a car owner. Um, and Hendrick, four of the, four, four of the uh, uh, Hendrick cars finished in the top five. Uh, and next week is the race in Sonoma, so it's back to being a road course. But uh, Kyle Larson is the second winner of the, of the year. He won the one in Vegas. Uh, he's been in the top 10 a number of times, so he's really one of those great young drivers that is now uh, everyone. That's why Hendrick put him on. They knew he was a superstar, and he's, he's showing it right now. I run sports, true oldies channel of Mike Balsamo. In baseball, like you said, this is going to be a really big, uh, big week for the uh, AL East because um, Yankees are going to be bringing in both of their competitors, uh, Boston and Tampa Bay, and hopefully you can get out there. Well, you would hopefully – look, the Yankees were swept by Detroit first time in 21 years. Yeah. Then they play Tampa for four games and the Red Sox for three. This is good. They are now, they are now, the Yanks right now are four and a half games behind Tampa Bay, which is shocking to think that the Yankees would be behind that. So this, but when you're saying, oh, this is, this is time for the, this, the Yankees could get, if Tampa, if you're Tampa Bay, you could this, you could end this division now. Like, I mean, you, you could really put, you could put, if you go and win three or four and then you get a seven, eight point game lead on the Yanks, um, this is a good chance for Tampa Bay, and they are playing super well. And uh, they're again, they they didn't start the year so well, but they are the hottest team in baseball, playing great and uh, very exciting. And of course, and they and the good thing is they hate the Yankees. Like this is like oh, a yeah. team with no payroll versus a team with the most payroll. Uh, it is all those things, and the Red Sox are in the middle of it. So this could be a very this could either could be a very opportunistic week for the Yankees or a very dangerous week for the Yankees. 
and then uh, going to the Central. I, I can't see anybody catching up to the White Sox here, I. I mean, it's their division. I mean, the Indians, every week we talk about this, they're now three and a half back. But I think the White Sox are going to coast the whole way through, uh, except if Tony La Russa seems like the players don't like him and everybody hates him, but he's still, he has a, the team is going to win the Central. And then in the West, uh, Oakland and Houston are battling it out. But uh, the interest is in the East. The interest is definitely in the East in terms of, of what happens between the Yankees, the Red Sox, and Tampa. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and whether Tampa this year, I mean, it's just crazy. They keep lo- every year they lose players. Every year they lose, and they just keep getting better. It's <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, going to the NL East, this is one. You know, we've been talking about how this has been any team's division for the entire season. Now, what do you know? The Mets win four in a row. Every other team is on a losing streak. So the Mets have propelled themselves, and they're up three and a half games now. They're up three and a half. They've only played 45 games, everybody, because of COVID and because of rain and everything else. But the Braves are, one of the, besides the Twins, the biggest disappointment, they're, t- they're under 500. The Phillies are under 500. Miami, of course, is just, they're not disappointed, but they're where they're supposed to be. And the Nats are 21 and 28, who I thought was going to be much better than that. But it's like one of those things where the Mets, you know, they have a chance here. Like, <laughs> they, could, they could lengthen that lead out. So it's, it's exciting. for. It's like the Mets are doing nothing. They're not playing games, but they just keep getting a longer lead in the division. Uh, and, it, and, it's, and I said we're mentioning this because the Central with the Cards, Cubs, and, and, and Brewers, because in the West, the Padres, Giants, and Dodgers, the, the, the Dodgers, again, Kershaw got shelled last week, but those – you're going to get the two wild cards. Remember, just two wild cards this year. Two wild cards are going to probably come out of the West with the Padres, Giants, and Dodgers. So these other divisions, the East and the Central, you're going to, if you want to get to the playoffs, you've got to win it. And that's the advantage that the Mets and the Cards have in terms of we're going to get, again, a good chance of all the, the uh, uh, Jupiter, Port St. Lucie teams, uh, 45th Street teams down here in West Palm Beach uh, making it to the playoffs. We just got about two, three minutes left here on Iron Sports before we have to get to Larry Olmstead. Uh, let's talk a little Charles Schwab. Well, golf. It was it was Jason Kokrak won. Uh, uh, it was it was uh, over Jordan Spieth. Uh, he was going in the final hole, and Spieth hit the ball in the water. Uh, very good field for this tournament, and it was like one of those things where Kokrak. It's his second victory, I think, in like he won uh, this year actually. So it's it's he hasn't won hardly at all, and now he has these two victories. And the field was interesting. Justin Thomas was in the field. Uh, Morikawa, Woodland, uh, Phil Phil Mickelson, and everything. And it was in the field, so it was it was a good field. And it sets the stage for the Memorial in Ohio next week, which is like one of these under like super tournaments that everyone's going to play in. And then there's a, another tournament, Palmetto, which no one will enter. And then the two weeks from now, after that, will be the U.S. Open. So it's going to be it's a very exciting time in terms of having the Memorial coming up this week. In it. And then we have, you know, we had a lot of excitement in golf between Bryson and Brooks, and, <laughs> and uh, uh, they were uh, the, the, an outtake that wasn't even aired. So Brooks, like being upset about someone off the screen, Bryson walks by. And I, Brooks, they've had some issues before because Bryson, Brooks Kepka doesn't like Bryson's slow play. And he also doesn't like the one issue, the story of it is he doesn't like this, the metal spikes that Bryson uses because he thinks it messes up the greens. Most golfers don't use metal spikes anymore. And Bryson goes is old school and does those metal spikes. And so he's like, when he was walking by, he's like, the look was so, he was so upset about it. And it's nice to have this rival between. I mean, I love Brooks, so I think it's great that he's calling out Bryson. And I think Bryson does deserves to get called out so it was it was the highlight of my week that clip if you haven't seen it just google brooks kepka bryson dechambeau i promise you will not uh, regret that um we're, we're gonna do another match ira and we got some new players in the game well phil and tom we've had this match before where phil played against tiger woods and then 
Brady, then he then Phil Teen with uh, with uh, Peyton Man- Peyton uh, Charles Barkley when they beat Steph Curry and Manning and they sort of mixed up. But I think this year it's the coolest. They have Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady versus Bryson <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers. The so two of like the quote hated first two of the everyone loves Phil, everyone loves Tom and Tom. And they have thirteen titles versus two titles, and Tom Brady has just added so much to this in terms of tweeting out like two old guys versus the young bucks and uh he goes uh phil better get used to laying up because we know aaron Rodgers isn't going for it citing the fact in the in the playoff game against the buccaneers they kicked a field goal and not uh go went went for it on fourth down and they're playing in montana it's a course it's 7500 feet of elevation um the, there, there's a seven there's a almost an 800 yard par five so you're going to see Bryson like try to hit the balls like 400 yards through the air because of the elevation. So that's going to be it's July 6th. I think it's going to be fun to see the characters with Bryson and Aaron Rodgers and Tom and Phil. This is going to be a very very good one. Let's talk uh, a little tennis here, Iran. You are not happy about how the draw came out at the French Open. Tennis doesn't care. Tennis doesn't care that we watch. <laughs> they absolutely don't. So they, you're supposed to have a seed where you seed the teams, the players. Now, there's ranking systems. But remember, rankings are based upon hard surfaces stop. You've had the pandemic. The French Open, the, the, Rafael Nadal has won 13 times. He's a defending champion. He's the greatest clay court player of all time. And he's the best clay court player. Now he's won two of the four tournaments he's, he's entered. Djokovic's number one in the world. All you have to do is put Nadal two, Djokovic one, call it a day. They'll meet in the finals in two weeks, and we'll see a, a legendary match. But instead, because Medvedenko, uh, uh, Medvedev, I'm sorry, Medvedev is does not who hates clay has never won a match at Roland Garros, but won hard courts. He played in the U.S. Open last year when uh, Nadal didn't play. All these other reasons, he's seated number two. They put him number two. So what does that mean? All that Michigan, what it means? It means that Joker, Djokovic, and Nadal have to play in the semifinals. All the tournament had to do was seed one, two, one, three. Medvedev is not going to complain. No one would have complained, except now you have a situation where you're setting up the finals to have Tsitsipas in the finals or, or someone else against and went after Nadal plays Djokovic in the semifinals. Absolutely ridiculous. They, there was no reason for this. I know that French Open doesn't do this. Wimbledon does. They reseed all, a lot, but they could have done it because of pandemic. They have, they have the right to do whatever they want to do. So I think it was just terrible. So, Ira, uh, we got to talk a little bit about the Belmont. It's coming up next week, and we're, this is going to be a weird one because you would assume that the Preakness winner is going to be the favorite going into the Belmont. It's not the case, and Rombauer might be like fifth choice here. Uh, but either way, I think it's going to be a good race. I, I might go. It depends upon where the nets are. I might go to this. I, I've been to, I think it's 13 Belmonts. I've been to the great Belmonts with American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown and Justify winning the Triple Crown. I've been there when Big Brown went to win it and like four other horses trying to, trying to win. Now, this year does not, this is the type of year where it doesn't have the excitement because you don't have any, no one's going for a Triple Crown. You're not even going to have the Kentucky Derby winner in the field. You're just the, the Preakness winner. But it might be a really good race because you're looking at like essential quality and hot Rod Charlie and Rock This World and Known Agenda. These are all horses that entered the Kentucky Derby and ran and, and for, for one reason or another had bad races, had bad whatever. They are, it seems like they, the Belmont has some, uh, some pizzazz because they think they can win this race and, uh, and there's no super horse out there that's going to stop it. And you don't have a horse that, I haven't seen these horses that are going to just enter it because they're the great long distance horses. But I do like this promise keeper horse 
15 to 1 odds. It was first in the Peter Pan, which was run on May 8th, around the same service. It's owned by um, the Cody Guffey and the, the Smith Construction. A great story about how they just started getting into the horse industry. And uh, I guess a horse that has familiarity with the Belmont would, would help. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be – it'll be exciting. I, it depends if the Nets are playing, whether I go to the Nets game or Belmont. But, uh, you know, they, they're building – the one thing that's very interesting, they're building the Islanders' new stadium uh, in, the Bel- in Belmont. So the goal has been the Islanders saying, say, we want to play a playoff game in the afternoon or have it at night and have the Belmont run beforehand. So that was one of their goals to have that. Because it'll be, the new stadium is right there at the Belmont racetrack in Elmont, New York. Let's go to Larry Olmstead here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. This is 95.9, 106.9, the True Oldies. And we have honored to have Larry Olmstead, author of the book called The Fans, How Watching Sports uh, Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Understanding. And Larry, my friends saw you on a show one time, and they called me and said, there's this guy who says that you must be the happiest person in the world because I watch sports 24-7, 365. So I, I'm extremely happy. So now this, you know, understands now. You'll tell me why I am so happy from liking sports. So thank you so much for coming on our show today. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's great to be with you. So what, <laughs> what motive, in terms of, I guess we'll just get to the point. Are sports fans happier? Uh, as a whole, yes. Um, you know, the like any other large group, there are exceptions or extremes, but on uh, on the whole, sports fans are happier and enjoy better mental health and better physical health than non-fans. So that's the good news. You have a chapter in your book. You talked about uh, participation by watching. And I, I guess a lot of fans say, you know, I have a lot of friends when they watch these games, I think they lose maybe like a couple hundred calories, even if they're eating at the same time because they're so into the game. But you actually say that it, it, it is because of participating and watching that actually is, it, it, it's, it's, it's such good because you actually are part of the game rather than as you're watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of two, two different elements to that. Uh, one is that a lot of the mental benefits come from this sense of community, uh, belonging to something. And when you watch a, a sporting event, even at home, you feel like you're part of the crowd. You see the audience, especially when there's not a pandemic, um, in a way that you don't with other forms of entertainment, like watching a movie. And then there have also been a lot of studies done, surprisingly, on what you just said, how many calories you burn just like rooting even in a sports bar. But what was interesting to me about it is is when there are people who are just sedentary, you know, the sort of uh, stereotypical couch potato sports fan who are led to become active in their lives through watching sports, because that's really where society benefits. And and that happens in a surprisingly broad number of ways, get people out there exercising because they were first sports fans. And I liked, we once had Brett Michaels on our show, uh, the lead singer of Poison, and, and he talked about uh, uh, being in terms of a concert, and he was a huge sports fan. And he says it's similar, because you're out there, and you feel like you're the community with the fans, and, and it was one thing. And I guess that's the, that's the point, is that when you're going, when you're, when you're watching on TV, it's one thing, but when you're actually at a sporting event, it is that sense of community with the other fans, just like you said, the only comparison is almost like a rock concert, because if you go to a movie, you're not talking to everybody at the movie theater, like, this is the greatest movie, but you're, you're quiet. If you start talking, they'll throw you out. Yeah, exactly. I said if we watched movies the way we watch sports, everyone would get kicked out of the theater. But, um, but you know, and I've seen Brett Michaels live, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it, it is interesting because I say, you know, a rock concert is the closest thing I could find to a sporting event. But the difference is people don't watch rock concerts on TV, and most sports fans watch sports on TV. 
<laughs> That's correct. And I guess that gets to the point of what's the difference? You, you talked about in the book. If I wanted to sit and binge watch Game of Thrones, The Crown, Succession, those things, what's the difference between sitting there and watching uh, those and then watching sports? I mean, one thing you did mention was that sports is uh, – you don't know what the ending is. Like you, you, it's something that no one knows. No one sits there and watches, oh, the season's over. I'm going to watch the 2020 NFL season of every Steeler game. No one does that. I've never met a person who does that. But, but talk about the differences between, I guess, watching sports and watching like just normal entertainment. Yeah, because, I mean, being a fan of any kind of entertainment brings you happiness, but the two big differences with sports are, like you said, the unpredictability of it. And actually, that's why Game of Thrones was so unusually popular, because it was a particularly unpredictable show. But for the most part, you know, I like Star Wars, but, you know, back in 1977, I knew the good guys were going to win. I didn't have to wait 40 years. Um, you know, you don't know that with sports. You, you know, that's why we watch it. If we really thought that the US, Team USA had absolutely no chance against the Russians in Lake Placid, nobody would have watched. You know, we love the Cinderella stories, and you have to watch it in real time. But also that, that, that fact that... Um, there are other people watching it. So when sports fans are home alone on the couch watching, they see, they think they're watching a football game or a baseball game, but what they're really watching is an arena event, and that includes the crowd. And they feel like they're part of the crowd because they see 30 or 40 or 50,000 people dressed in their team colors, logos, cheering, and they're transported in a way that just doesn't happen with any other kind of entertainment you can watch on TV because you watch Game of Thrones, you don't see an audience, you don't feel part of something. And then that extends even outside of the stadium because with sports, you have all this logo where you might go you know, to your local supermarket and see somebody in like a Marlins hat and you're walking and you've got a Marlins t-shirt on and you make an eye contact and you have a connection and you're part of a community. You'll see you know, a Marlins or a Bucks, uh, a Buccaneers bumper sticker on a car, but you're never going to see a Game of Thrones bumper sticker on a car. <laughs> so the sports community constantly reminds you that you're part of a group and people like to belong. Yeah, I mean, I, I go to travel around the country for sports and for work and everything. And many times I'm in L.A. and I'm running on the beach at six in the morning and I'm wearing a Steeler hat. And I can't I, I met some of my closest friends by just wearing my Steeler hats. And people like, you know, just a little wave, you know, the Steeler fan, like, you know, here we go. Those type of things. If I see a Penn State hat, they go, we are. I mean, I don't have to be near Penn State. It's like you don't almost want to wear the Penn State hat at Penn State. I want to wear my Penn State hat when I'm you know, away from Penn State. And then you just meet so many people and start talking about those things. I guess that's where the community comes from yeah and there's probably you know people ask me all the time oh which city what place has the most you know passionate fans and there's no answer to that but i do think that probably college football as a sport maybe has the most passionate fans they're certainly the ones who buy logo coffins they want to be buried in <laughs> um but it, it, like with what you said, I've talked to Alabama fans. You wear an Alabama hat anywhere in the world, someone is going to say roll tie to you on the street, even if it's Tokyo. <laughs> and it's funny because you look at Piazza's career when people talk about it and how many home runs he's had. I mean, that's the one they mentioned more than anything else in terms of all the great things he, he did is that they mentioned that, that home run. And, I, and, and he's, I heard him interviewed. He said he's most proud about that home run. So it, he's happy that people mention it. But even like we had Doc Emmerich on, the famous hockey announcer, and we were talking about when he broadcast in Philadelphia and he says there are not hockey fans in Philadelphia they're flyer fans and that's what you mentioned about the Las Vegas Golden Knights in terms of in the book there were people that had never watched a hockey game in their life but became Golden Knights fans because it, they just were embraced by the team just embraced the whole town after the uh, unfortunate shooting yeah well this was sort of the perfect storm in that 
Las Vegas, you know, people don't think about this that much, but Las Vegas was the largest city in the United States that did not have a professional sports team in any of the big four sports. You know, now they've got the Raiders, too, so they've come a long way very quickly. But no no big sports teams in a city of a couple of million people, and then they get their first one, and it's this NHL team, the Golden Knights. And then nine days before the first game of the season, they have the worst mass shooting in American history. People are afraid to leave their homes. The Knights come along, and this is recent enough. I mean, this is 2017. I was able to go out there and interview people, people who had been shot, people who had been shot at, people who, you know, really lives were turned upside down. And one after another, they told me about how, you know, it was the Knights that got them out of their house, the Knights that pulled them through it. A woman who was afraid to leave her house, who was, you know, she was a basketball fan, but she had never seen a hockey game. Finally, first time she leaves her house is to go to a Knights game, falls in love with it, goes 50 more times the first season. (laughs) And when, you know, she tells me this story, I can no longer sit there and think like, well, sports are trivial or frivolous or they're entertainment. They're a vital part of the social fabric of our society. And then you switched from not just healing a community, but healing people. Um, and your story about Iowa, and I've you know I've watched these Iowa games, but in, I didn't realize the whole backstory about how that all got created in terms of at the Iowa football games and helping the children's hospital and giving uh, uplifting the spirits of of these uh, children in the hospital. Yeah, and and I actually started with adults, you know, talking to people who had used their sports fandom to battle, get through their cancer treatments, do rehabilitation, whatever it was. That led me to children and the Make-A-Wish, and that led me to uh, this, this Iowa wave. And the amazing thing about that is, you know, it brings so many of the elements together because it's the fans of both teams that participate, right? So it's the unity and community that we can find as sports fans. There's suddenly no conflict, no matter what's happening on the field. They all want to participate in helping these kids. And, you know, they built this new wing on the children's hospital overlooking the the college football field with a sports theme. uh, So the kids feel like they're, they're, you know, um, you know, in a little kid version of a sports bar, but, um, Uh, you know, so, you know, it's amazing and there's nothing else like it. And there's probably not going to be because you have to build a new hospital to get the same thing. And then like, there's this, there's this image of sports fans that they're overweight and they don't exercise. And, but I liked how you said that sports people who watch sports tend to, it encourages them. And you, you raised the answer, the issues of Lance Armstrong and the women's world cup and, and how sports has motivated people rather than just, and I, for someone who, I mean, I'm very much against these kids playing video games all the time. Like you're playing these video games in call of duty. That's not motivating you to go be a, go outside and play sports. But if you, I think if you just, I think kids that are playing sports are better, healthier, and it's, it's certainly much better for kids to be playing sports than to play video games. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a number of examples. You talk about Lance Armstrong, the Olympics, um, uh, even the Boston Marathon being on TV, motivating people like myself to take up running. But I, I love this example uh, that I use of American Ninja Warrior, which is not what most people think of when they immediately <laughs> think of sports, even though it's a, it's a really compelling show, I think. But this was basically a new sport made up out of whole cloth that we never had anything like before comes on TV, becomes popular and spawns the birth of this ninja training gym. And now there's hundreds of them across the country. And clearly these do not exist without the sport 
and the show existing. So this is a clear case where people watch something sports on TV and it motivates them enough to go out and take this up that it can support hundreds of gyms, most of which are filled with kids and often their families. It's a very multi-generational thing. But they're not training to compete. They're not training to be on the show. They're training because they think it's fun and they think it's fun because they saw it on TV. And, and I think that's, that's great for society. And you didn't shy away from any subject in the book. I mean, you definitely covered the civil rights issues with sports and from Jackie Robinson up to today's time with George Floyd. And you, and you mentioned about you know, how sports has been something that's, that's you know, pro, have been progressive in terms of our country and, and the world in general in terms of how sports and politics have merged and covered all those bases in the book. Yeah, and, you know, that's been a, a steady progress. People think, oh, sports is more political today. It's always been that way. The difference is we have social media now. So, you know, somebody like LeBron James can reach out and immediately get his message to tens of millions of people. So it's become, you know, a, a faster and more obvious process. But what really, you know, I think if you're a sports fan and you read my book, you're going to find a lot of stuff you like, and you're also going to find a lot of stuff you can relate to. Oh, yeah, I remember this. That brings back memories. But what I like about this, the healing, the post-traumatic healing and the politics and the civil rights and progress is sports fandom has made our world a better place to live in. And non-sports fans don't always realize that. And that's what I want them to take away from that is even if they don't watch the games, that they have to thank sports fans for making the world better. And that's kind of an interesting perspective. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned even we just talked about the fight of the century in 1971 uh, between Ollie and Frazier. But you mentioned the Joe Lewis-Max Schmeling fight of 1938 when Schmeling was uh, Hitler's fighter. And Joe Lewis was the, everybody, you know, from all races in America were, were, were rooting, cheering him on to defeat Germany. It was right before World War II. And uh, just the idea how Joe Lewis became this extremely popular fighter uh, in this, these terrible times. Yeah, and he was invited to the White House, which, uh, you know, not a lot of minority athletes were at that time, and basically, you know, used in a kind of propaganda way, as Jesse Owens was. And so to say that, you know, sports and politics are somehow distinct, which people, some people think it is, is ridiculous, because it really never has been, going back to ancient Greece. Yeah, and I loved your story about Nelson Mandela. I, I'm going to get that movie that because you mentioned about how he used rugby to to I guess bring the nation together in terms of using that sport. And to, I just love that story. Yeah, and actually, skip the movie. It's good, but read the book oh, instead because okay. you get a lot more out of it. It's called Playing the Enemy. The movie was called Invictus. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were teetering the country. You know, apartheid was this you know oppressive authoritarian regime. They had their first democratic election. Country's going to uh, transition from authoritarianism to democracy. He's the first freely elected president, and they're teetering on the verge of civil war. And Nelson Mandela realizes, you know, the one thing we can you know all kind of get around is rugby and brings the World Cup and uses it to basically unify the country. And, you know, it's an amazing story. And, yeah, South Africa would probably be a democratic country today if it wasn't for rugby, but, you know, a lot of people probably would have been killed in the process. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful example, but there's a lot of others, you know, of that. I mean, the U.N. has a division on using sport to promote peace. The Vatican created... Uh, a wing to use sport to promote peace. And it's used, you know, uh, I asked a, an ambassador 
that I interviewed, you know, about sports' role in, in the peace process and negotiations globally, and he looked at me like I was crazy. Of course, we've always used sports, you know, like it's obvious to people in the State Department, but it's not obvious to the <laughs> casual reader. And then you finished up your book, and one of the chapters was a talk about family bonding, and, and clearly, and people's bonding too. I mean, I know a lot of people that um, had a talk for ten years, and like, how do you? They're not, they don't. They're uncomfortable going sitting at a dinner, but it's like I suggested to one of these two of my friends. I said, just go to a football game and just sit there because then you can watch the game. And they went to the game, and it was like it was easy. It just it seems like it's something. Sports is something that brings everybody together, and it's clearly on families and intergenerational. You have a ten-year-old or twelve-year-old. Old, uh, kid and then his 80 year old grandfather and the one that you mentioned in your book how they can talk about sports and I just love that aspect in terms of, of that's what sports has in, in, in helping people you know something a bridge of divide that, that would be between people yeah, and I interviewed hundreds of sports fans over several years all around the world, and if there's one consistent story that I heard from everyone, it was, oh, I remember, you know, that first game with my grandpa or my grandmother or my parents or my siblings or some combination thereof, right? That's like the, the unifying sports memory is always around family. And then, as you said, you know, later on, as, as things get more culturally divided, it can bridge these gaps, and there's a, a psychologist I quote in there who, you know, says something like, you know, the 12-year-old kid doesn't doesn't want to hear about what it was like to work in a coal mine, and grandpa doesn't want to hear about video games, but they can, you know, go to a sporting event and share that as common ground, and that is absolutely true, and it's not just multi-generational, it's, you know, I say, you know, I travel around the world, I can go into any airport bar in the world, sit down, there's something on the screen, I can start talking to the person next to me, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, nationality, race, religion, economic background, age, education, we can just immediately begin chatting about sports. Yeah, and that's what bothers me. The one thing about bothers me in sports so much, and not so much, you know, in Europe you see it a lot. In America, but America and Philly fans and stuff, like, I hate when I hear that, oh, a Dodger and a, and a Giant fan fought. Or because that you should be fighting over sports. It's like when someone is a Cowboy fan and I'm a Steeler fan, it's like a shared bond. Like, it's great. We can talk. We can joke around. Like, I love that aspect. And I see that a lot in college football when, a, when Penn State went down to Alabama and everyone was so nice. It's like, it just seems to me that's that shared bonding of we both like it. I mean, you don't have people that fight between English literature and American literature, which is the better one. I just I hate when I hear that people got in a fight over sports when it's the shared bond of it is the fact that people who like sports should all get along. I think really, I mean, and just enjoy their differences of the team, but they should just enjoy the sports. And they do. And and the, the thing, you know, I point this out in the book, the actual like fan on fan violence is extremely rare. And of course, yeah, it occurs because there's tens of millions of people who mix <laughs> at sporting events every year. But um, when it happens, it always gets a lot of press. You know, and I take a look at that, and you see these articles that say, oh, recurring violence among football fans, and then the last example they can find is like eight years ago. <laughs> and it's statistically much safer, say, to go to an NFL game than it is to walk the streets of any major city in the country. Right, right, right. So, but Larry, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is, I mean, this time we're coming back from COVID. People are going to be going into stands more and getting involved in sports. This is a, a perfect book for the perfect time because you really talk about how we're going to just, I mean, everyone's excited to, to start going to sports again and, and becoming, going to stadiums and going to sports bars, even going, I went to, a, you know, going to sports bars the last couple of months have been great. I hadn't been to a sports bar in, in, I don't know, eight, nine months. So it's great to be able to go out and do those things. So I really appreciate you for writing this book. And I think it's the perfect 
perfect book for the for the times right now. Well, I really do appreciate you having me on, and I and I agree. I mean, after all these crises, people talk about a return to normalcy, and there, n- nothing is going to signal that more than being able to sit next to thirty or forty or fifty thousand people, shoulder to shoulder, and high five, and not worry about getting sick. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, Larry, thank you so much for coming on Ira on Sports. I really appreciate it. Great stuff there from Larry Olmstead here on Ira on Sports. So, Ira, you, you kind of told us, but what's your plans uh, for the week while you're away? How about next Wednesday night? Catch a couple of the Nets games and uh, maybe the Belmont. So it's great to be in New York. I, I mean, now without the Panthers and now without the Heat in Miami, we got the Marlins until we have football season. So, um, uh, but I, but it's great to come up to New York and see some. I, I'm going to see what the Garden is going to be like on Wednesday night, and then of course uh, and go to Brooklyn for some of their games and, and the Belmont. It was going to be a great race. We are out of time on behalf of Ira Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.